Hello, and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is Washington Post journalist and media politics expert Sarah Ellison. Now, remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and Z-Biotics, in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, James, I don't know. Is I, there may not be much to talk about. Kind of a slow <laughs> week this week, right? Um, right. You know, oh, my God. Oh, Hard to keep up. Um, The president made it official. Biden announced for re-election a three-minute video would emphasize the dangerous MAGA Republicans posed in 2024 and also highlighted his vice president, Kamala Harris. Now, there were two decidedly different Democratic reactions, as I saw it. The public was rallying around the president. I saw two Democratic operatives on the news hour talking about what a powerful video this was and what solid shape the president is in. Privately, uh, from the few people I, I talked to, it was a different story. Considerable concern. Politicians see polls show half of Democrats, half of Democrats, don't want Biden to run again. Little enthusiasm among those that do. Paul's worried that this lack of energy might cost them down ballot, that the only really good thing he has going for him is Trump that running at best even in the midst of a strong economy and a record of, of he really has robust achievements on health care, infrastructure, and climate, still only running even. James, I think we agree there is a simple explanation. Age. The Fox News narrative that Biden is semi-senile is a lie. But he does show his age, and it isn't going to get any better. Colored Democrats worried. Well, I'll give you the optimistic scenario. It's not unreasonable. Okay. It, it takes a while for an economic recovery to take hold in the public's mind. We saw that in the 94 elections. We certainly saw it in, in 2010. You know, both came back in 96 and 2012 and one and perception economy were decidedly better. Right. And so I, I, I pass this, this is you know, there, there are two hopes. That, that, that Look, you can look at that NBC heart research poll, and there's not anything good in it other than people can't stand Trump. But that, that's about it. But there, that, that is a, a it's not a, un, I don't know if it's likely, but it's certainly not an unreasonable hope that people start, you know, start feeling this. These infrastructure projects start taking hold. Wages start going up because you have strong employment everywhere. Um, yeah, and you 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 get Trump or some deeply flawed candidate, and you know you're probably in some position to win the elections, and that's that's where we are. I mean, the, uh, what what worries me profoundly and deeply is that Pupo had a black approval of 59 for uh, President Biden. Listeners to, to this show will know that I've been literally sounding the alarm about tepid black turnout in 2022 and uh, even beyond that. So let's, let's hope that, uh, because if we don't, we don't get some more enthusiasm about that, the best we can hope for is a kind of repeat of 2020. But 
that's the best. And I don't know what I'd black turnout. I don't even know if that's possible. So I'm, I, that, that, that's a reasonable path to win, and there are reasonable things to worry about. Yeah, you cited the polls, um, both an NBC and Wall Street Journal poll out last weekend. They used to be together. They were better when they were together. But I will, um, you know, I'll, I'll cite the Heart Research poll. Also, it's just one bad number after another for Biden and the Democrats. 75% think the country's in the wrong direction. President's disapproval in the mid to high 50s. Vice President Harris's numbers are, uh, are worse. The only good news, as you suggested, is Donald Trump isn't doing any better, in some cases doing worse. And James, lost in the blizzard of political news this week, including the New York opening of a race cape, a, a rape case against Trump, was the warning by Fannie Willis, the Fulton County DA, that she expects a decision this summer on charges that Trump tried to manipulate the 2020 Georgia election results. Now, here's what's interesting. She called on law enforcement to be ready for unrest. Now, talking to Georgia sources, it's not hard to, between, to read between those lines. There ain't going to be any unrest if some lower-level phony elector is indicted. This is about Trump being indicted. And that would be a case that looks more clear-cut than the Manhattan case. And Mar-a-Lago on January 6th may be right around the corner. Now, that is good news for Democrats. However, let me just pose this. If these cumulative disasters ultimately undo Trump, and I still believe that, that there's a real possibility of that, is that good or is that bad for Biden? I, you know, well, first of all, you're exactly right about the, the Fulton County DA. I guess if they don't charge anybody, there, there could be a three-person demonstration in front of the Whole Foods and Buckhead, but that's about all that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I, I, go to uh, Gucci that day, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. The, the faculty, at, you know, the, the humanities faculty at Emory will be profoundly depressed. <laughs> but uh, what, what were you asking? I got, I got. No, I was going to say, I think you know, if given that, if Fannie Wills does and 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 die Trump right. this summer, Mar-a-Lago, January sixth, right around the corner, he could, you know, that rape case is up in New York. But after a while, it just gets so bad that it may undo him. I think that is still very possible. My question is, if it does, is that good or bad for Biden? Uh, first of all, I, I, I held your view. I, I moved away from your view. I might be, if anything, inching a little bit closer to your view. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean... I don't, even if, if, let's say that they just knock him off. The, the legal shit just becomes too much. By the way, he could get charged with rape in, in New York if this civil jury comes back. It's going to put enormous pressure on Alvin Bragg because if that statute, in Eugene Carroll, they changed that statute. That, that right. had the, uh, We call it prescription in Louisiana, the, the statute of limitations in the rest of the country. It, it, there's so much stuff that's mounting up I, I don't. I, I don't know how the guy can withstand the the legal pressure that he is under, and it's only going to get more intense. It, there's no way that it doesn't. And the the proud boys, I guess, are oath keepers. Some some of these assholes are on trial right now. I think they're closing arguments yesterday, and they saying, "Well, don't blame us. It was all Trump's fault." So you know, Jack Smith could still indict him on the. The January sixth, right. yeah. The, 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 and William Barr says Mar-a-Lago is the biggest is, is the biggest worry of all. 
Right. So when you go through it, 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 it it's just it, it's so much coming, and it's probably going to come for you know in, in legal time, which is a, takes longer than than normal time. It's probably coming together pretty soon here, and. and you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think everybody was so traumatized by the Robert Mueller stuff, but it don't seem like Jack Smith is Robert Mueller or Fanny Wills is Robert Mueller, you know, clearly. Uh, the thing I want to ask you about is them calling Pomerantz and, and give our, remind our listeners who Pomerantz is and, and, and where this is, because I think this is going to be an important piece of testimony. It is. Mark Pomerantz was a very tough uh, lawyer and former prosecutor in Manhattan who was hired by Sarah's Vance to investigate Trump. He wanted to bring charges against Trump. And then when Vance's term expired and Alvin Bragg was elected, Bragg decided not to bring those charges, much broader charges uh, than the charge that Bragg brought uh, on, um, uh, you know, uh, lying about the uh, and, and covering up the, the payment uh, uh, to, to, what's her name? I'm having a senior moment now, James. But, 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 but so it was a much bigger deal. And so Pomerantz resigned and he wrote a book about it. And Jim Jordan, uh, the uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, has uh, subpoenaed Pomerantz to appear on May the 12th, obviously to say bad things about Bragg. However, if I'm the Democrats, I'm thinking, my God, this is the guy that thought that Trump was worse than Bragg. They thought there was even a bigger case. They thought he was even a, more of a total crook. If I'm Dan Goldman or other people, I've got questions. I mean, I just can't wait for Mark Pomerantz to testify. I mean, this may be a, a real blunder on Jordan's part, James. I, you, you, you know, I, there's got to be some other explanation for it because what you say to me sounds like from, from everything I know, it seems like a colossally stupid thing. Now, maybe Jim Jordan is a colossally stupid man. I don't, I, I don't want to discount that possibility at all. Some people say he has decent staff. I, I don't know that. I don't know. Obviously, don't know his staff. Hasn't but shown I, so far, that. has it? No. And and I, I, I would wish somebody would say, "What the fuck are you thinking?" Because I can't figure it out. And maybe there's something we don't know. I, I have to, I have to acknowledge that that's a possibility. But based on the knowledge I have and you have, and people that we know have. People are just kind of flummoxed. What, what are they doing? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Pomerantz says, look, I think this is a weak case, um, you know, that Bragg has brought. Okay, fine. Chalk one up for Jim Jordan. And then and then uh, Dan Goldman and the Democrats come in and say, well, yeah, so therefore Trump is okay. Oh, no. Trump is even a bigger crook. He should have been indicted for this. Here's what we found. Right. I I, 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 I don't get it, but I guess that... that, that you know, the immediate thing, if they think, if he's going to come in and say that the case uh, is weak based on her, the probably person's name was, birth name was Stephanie Clifford of Baton Rouge, right. Louisiana. She's now Stormy Daniels. Just so, you know, I want to be sure we, we get all right, the credit right. in the world for this. How could I have forgotten that but, name even yeah, momentarily? Yeah, really right. <laughs> yes, anyway, that, that happens when you get our age. But, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You're, you're right. And, and just of all of the crushing, agonizing legal problems, and we forget like stuff that, 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 that we even forget, like his lawyer had to turn over the notes. Right. 
I, I can't begin to tell you what you'd have to do to get a lawyer's note for a federal judge to sign off on that, but it would have to be something remarkable. Well, I'm sure Pomerantz will say that Michael Cohen is not a reputable and not a believable witness, and he wasn't, you know, his, his case wasn't relying on Cohen. I think, you know, that, that may well be true. But, boy, o overall, um, as I say, if I'm, the, if I'm the Democrats, I'm not dreading that hearing, to put it mildly. I, I think the, the least of Trump's worries is, is the Stephanie Clifford case. <laughs> you know, I mean, he could, be, he could get convicted, at, you know, right? Most of the times they do, but compared to this other stuff, oh, Jesus. You know, he wouldn't get any jail time off of that anyway. I mean, Simon. I would, he, what he did was clearly wrong. You know, I just think Joe? back, if, like we would have paid off a porn star to, with non-reportable money to keep a story out in October of 1992. The wrath of God would have fallen on us, but, you know, standards of the country of deteriorated considerably and uh, you know yeah. I don't know but I don't I think that I think if, if, if I'm him I got a lot a lot of crap I'm much more worried about this the thing is we see why he fought so hard to stay in office he knew all this <laughs> okay yeah yeah I mean, he knew he was a criminal that's the only way he was he was immune uh -huh. from prosecution was being president right. of the United he's States. like a Latin American politician. Hell, he'd have, he'd have, he'd have repealed the 22nd Amendment and stayed forever if he could have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, James, just to close the loop, the question I was asking you about whether it was good or bad for Biden if Trump really, really did, um, uh, was undone, the whole Biden rationale has been he's beaten Trump before he can do it again. Suppose he runs against someone else. Now, we both agree Ron DeSantis has had just a terrible month, so I don't know who it would be, but I'm just saying running against someone else who's 30 or 40 years younger... I don't know. That may be more worrisome. I don't even know if he fell apart. So, you know, he'd run against Brian Kemp. Oh, you know, that'd be, that'd be tough. Yeah. You know, I don't know if they'd nominate him, but, you know, I don't know if they'd go. I don't think they're going to go to Nikki Haley. But, you know, you, you got, you know, a lot, of, a lot of slimy characters out there, you know, that if Trump drops out, they, you know, the Ted Cruz's and the Josh Howley's of the world, it, Marsha Blackman, that I mean, that whole freak show would jump in there like crazy. But yeah, if, if they nominate a Brian Kemp, you know, they're not going to nominate a Chris Sununu, but if they did, a Chris Christie, which they're not, but you know, they'd, they'd win. Yeah, they would. <laughs> you know, the other story this week is everything's getting overwhelmed uh, by uh, Tucker Carlson and Joe Biden. But House Republicans finally have a budget plan as part of a threat to otherwise sabotage the debt ceiling which, of course, would throw America into a default and maybe wreak havoc on the economy. Of course, the Republican plan is blue smoke and mirrors. We're going to cap discretionary spending for the next 10 years, they say. Well, you're going to cap everything? Veterans programs, air traffic controllers? Of course not. But we're not going to tell you the specifics. We're going to be duplicitous about that. I mean, we are going to do things like, which, which like, like uh, uh, kill the increased funding for the under-resourced IRS, which they say would would raise uh, would it would help the deficit. Actually, wouldn't it would cost money because you wouldn't be able to go after those tax cheats. Yeah, it's provable, right? And their last-minute gambit is to go to please Matt Gatz. Matt, I mean, we keep listing the House uh, despicables: the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boeberts, the Paul Gosers. We have to understand that that club is much bigger, James. Matt Getz, Matt Getz is a is a co-captain of that team. You wouldn't let your children anywhere near Matt Getz. Uh, and they're gonna, he's going to make it much harder for 
people, poor people to get food stamps because they got to have some kind of a job, but he, he's going to prescribe. Pure and simple, this is a con game. Well, I'm going to take a, a substantial issue with you on a word that you use. I think you'll you agree that you, you, you'll want to strike that word in the record and stuff to nothing. To call what they put forward a budget You're right. is ludicrous. I stand corrected. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I knew you would, and, it, it, well, you know, to err is human, you know, whatever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it ain't remotely a budget, right. and we need to stay on the fact that they have no budget. They have some sloppy talking, you know, some overall thing that don't even tell you what, what, what's in it. I mean, you talk about a giant con. The idea, and, you know, again, everybody is like, well, they'll figure something out, they'll figure something out. I don't know if these crazy sons of bitches are not going to just drive this whole thing in a ditch. And I don't know that their rationale would be, yeah, it'll hurt the economy, you know, people, but, but, but people blame Biden. The other thing is, I, I, of all of the things I hear that, that meant in a trillion dollar coin, that, that in the Constitution it says the debt of the United States shall not be questioned. That's in, that's in the document. I, I don't know how, uh, we're not, how do you get around that? I mean, I'm sure Alito and Thomas and them would come up with, with something because they just, they just come up with anything they, they, always can, do. they can do. They always do. Somebody paid them. They made enough money. They could, you know. This story about Gorsuch selling his house to the head of this law firm with this huge Supreme Court practice. And I mean, that's it. And Paul and Crow buying Clarence Thomas's mother's house. Jesus, man. What is going on here? I, and I'm sorry, this is just not ordinary stuff. This is not the kind of crap that goes on all the time. I don't think so. I really don't. No, I agree with you. You know, you know it's not. Uh, it, 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 it clearly is not. So I apologize for, for using the term budget, you're right. Uh, <laughs> okay, but right. <laughs> no apologies, and I think you would agree with me, is describing Matt Getz as a, as, as a, general, scum, as a general scumbag. Well, I think he might be in the top ten, but I don't know if he could break the top five. Maybe. Boy, I don't know. I think I'd pity him up there. I'll tell you one thing I heard, and, and, and this is not a guy who I'd put in that top ten group, but there's a, there's a right-winger from Texas named Chip Roy who is a real, oh, real, real right-winger. And I was told that, you know, the guy who's really trying to work all this out to let McCarthy go, you know, the guy can come up with something is Chip Roy. Well, when Trip, Chip Roy... Is the guy, you know, putting things together, man alive, does that tell you everything you need to know about the caucus? It's like saying James Carl and Al Hunt are in charge of the invasion plan. Ain't going to go well. Or, <laughs> or, or, or in charge of our technology, right? Right, yeah. yeah. We, we, we're, we're leading the tech section. That, that's about what it, it, I, They have so many that we just Chip Roy being that, my favorite, you know, my guy from, uh, from Louisiana. Uh, you know, who's Clay Higgins. Is fuck. He just doesn't, he can't get that. He's too stupid to get yeah. the oxygen that, that Martin Taylor Green or Lauren Boebert or Paul Gosser or Matt Getz get, but they, they, they certainly capable of playing in that league. They are. I, I don't think you. Roy is in that league. I think he's just an extremist. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's, you know, crazy the way Boebert and Getz and... Yeah, Higgins. I don't know if, yeah. Yeah, Clay Higgins, I don't know if he's, like, got... He's just... Crazy, extreme to the nth degree. You know, I guess you, you gotta, 
get people like just slimy people like Jim Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Bobert who just all have, I don't know that, I can't say that that, that Chip Roy or, or Clay Higgins are, are covered in personal life slime. I, that that, that I, I can't do, but I know they're idiots, but you got a lot of idiots that are not slimy people. Yeah, you do. Okay, uh, we'll keep watching this and we'll keep watching that presidential race and we'll keep watching and take the over-under on how many indictments uh, Trump will face uh, by, uh, by October. I, 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 well, you, you do counts or, or just, you know, is that one indictment in New York or 34? Well, we just you know, let's go easy on York. him. Let's just go venues, you know. We'll go, but, 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 but we'll throw in the Carroll case even though that's not an indictment yet. Well, it could be, again, it could be right. because the statute of limitations and, you know, okay. civil jury. Now, you know, I think most of our viewers understand this, that the standard to prevail in a civil case is a preponderance of the evidence. So if the finder of the fact, in this case, the jury, thinks that it's kind of 52, 48, they could find for E. Jean Carroll. Okay, let, so me, you go to, let me throw down a marker, James. By October, the over-under, by October 23, over or under, and let, you know, all of our viewers write in on what you think it'll be. More than three indictments or less than three indictments by October So, so three would be in addition to the Bragg. Yes, it would Stephanie be. It, it would be so, two more. So it would be, but it all, you don't, you, you possibly, well, of course, Jack Smith could indict on January the 6th. He could indict on the documents. He could indict, I don't know how many obstruction of justice charges there are. Well, let's say Jack Smith has two. Mar-a-Lago on January 6th, that would be two. Fannie Wills has one. And then, as you just pointed out, there could be one. So there are four more possibilities. So, uh, you know, we'll... we'll... Got two and a half. Oh, okay. Two and a half is over. All right. All right. We're there. You, you, you win at three, you lose at two. All right. Take the owner, take the owner. Everybody keep, you know, send your bets to us. Send them to that Politicon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do the outrage. All right, the outrage of the, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll do the ads now. Huh? Now, is, 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 is 538 going to go under, James? Because weren't they owned by Disney? Yeah. Well, ABC, I think they were under contract with ABC. But, you know, the, 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 it's pointed out that he was a big promoter that the Republicans going to have this big year in 2022. And the, the, the kind of leading skeptic was a, a war room veteran named Simon Rosenberg, who's done yeah. pretty well. He said, he's a, he, we should get Simon on the, on the show because he's been right about more things than wrong. And, uh, you know, he, 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 and he's a good guy. He's talented and okay. uh, he, he's been around. And, you know, the thing about Nate Silver, he's like a, in 2012, you couldn't, he, he was white hot. I mean, just white hot. Yeah, he was. And uh, it's hard to, you know, the one thing about this business we know is, we've seen, a, you can be white hot, and some people, you get too white hot, you you get down too far. He also had some, he, he had some good people who've gone on to other things. Hey, you know, James, there was a seismic quake in cable news in Republican circles. I guess it was like an eight on the Richter scale as Fox News sacked its star provocateur, Tucker Carlson, 
Uh, and there's no one better to analyze this for us than Sarah Ellison, a great reporter for the Wall Street Journal and Vanity Fair, and now the Washington Post enterprise correspondent on politics and media. Sarah, you are the best, and like most people, were you shocked by the Carlson news? And while there may have been multiple factors, cut to the chase as to what you think it really was all about. I was shocked by the Carlson news. We had just gotten through the big settlement with Dominion that Fox had done, and everybody was sort of wondering what the fallout was going to be. Um, people were looking at different executives and people that might, who got them into this mess? The question was, was it, was it the anchors who said outrageous things on air that got them sued? Were it, was it the executives who gave those people too little oversight and let them kind of repeat these conspiracy theories and didn't, didn't sort of rein them in? Was it the chief legal officer who both managed to let all this dirty laundry get aired out and pay three quarters of a billion dollars? You sort of would think you would do one or the other, but not both. But no, the person who got axed was Tucker Carlson, the biggest primetime host they have, the most powerful person they have there in terms of the way he's plugged into, you know, we hear about, you know, Republicans really looking to him for their messaging and trying to stay on in his favor. So I was surprised by it. And what has happened in the days since it's been announced is if you're reporting on it, it's sort of a game of who's going to lie to me next, because there's so much spin about what it was that he had done wrong and what the Murdochs wanted and which executive inside the company he had insulted. Um, what do the redactions have behind them from Tucker Carlson? And I think when it boils down to it, I mean, things could change, but he just... The Murdochs eventually decided he was more trouble than he was worth. And, and Sarah, um, you know, they have, they've, they've fired big people before. Bill O'Reilly, Roger Ailes, uh, Glenn Beck. You know, my theory is that any time that an employee is seen as bigger than his chief honcho or owner, that he's in some kind of trouble. And that, um, I mean, I, you wrote this, so I, this appears to have been a decision by Lachlan Murdoch the heir apparent with the support of his father, Rupert. I mean, did they just think, hey, as you say, he's more trouble than he's worth, but he also is acting like he's bigger than us. You know, that was the thing that Roger Ailes always said when he was running the network, that nobody's bigger than the network. Um, and he, they got rid of Glenn Beck for that reason. Um, I think that was part, that was in part what was at play. You know, Rupert and, you know, People are fighting over who actually made this decision that nothing really happens without Rupert, but in this case, Lachlan was the one who made the sort of final call. Tucker had insulted a lot of people. I don't know how many people that are listening to this remember the documents that came out during the, during the suit, but Tucker had insulted lots of people in really colorful language. Um, uh, what, James, you'll be able to relate to this colorful language, but he was de Tucker was definitely more insulting than is sort of appropriate inside a company. And of course, they live with him saying outrageous things on air all the time. But it was sort of his his swagger and his 
what what the Murdoch saw is him sort of bragging about their relationships and the way that, that they were going to protect him. And in the end, you know, he says some pretty vile things about women um, and women executives at Fox. And he had lots and lots of advertising boycotts. They, they stuck with him and they stuck with him. And then I think the the harsh reality of that settlement and the amount of money that they had to put out and the, the torture that that company went through, I think this is now an effort to kind of regain some measure of control. And so it is the situation of you grew too big for your business. Sarah, we want to talk about the you know impact on politics too. James, I know, is going to get into that in just a minute. But but let me just talk about what it means for Fox. The, the, the stock took a hit. The audience was down a little bit. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene are saying we ought to boycott uh, Fox now. Uh, you know, based on the past, there's a, there's a, you know, a temporary um, uh, drop or dip. And then they find someone who's kind of a junior Tucker or whatever have you to come in. And it is more about the network. It is more about Fox. Which of those do you think, I mean, could this be a serious problem for them audience-wise? Uh, or do you think that uh, in three or four months it'll be Tucker who? It seems like Fox always bounces back. You lost Bill O'Reilly in a, in, in a, at a moment and Roger Ailes. Um, and everybody thought that was going to be the end of the network. And after not very long, you had Tucker Carlson back in that spot. I will say that what Fox worries about more than anything is a challenger on the right. Now they have that much more than they've had in the past. Um, and the people who are running it are, don't have the same kind of vision. I mean, you don't have Roger Ailes there anymore. But my bet is on, it's, you have people who are turning on their television to watch the news. Yes, people have lots of other kinds of ways to consume media, um, but there is still such an embedded audience for that, for that channel. I think it's going to be a long time before you see them really hurting. James. So, so Sarah, there are two theories. This was a death by a thousand cuts. He's just too much trouble for him. The Murdoch's just, it was, it was just one shit show after another. And they just had it and let him go. The other is the Big Bang Theory, that there are these 90 tapes, and I think Abby Grossman is at the, I saw her, she was on uh, Nicole Wallace's show yesterday, and that there was some explosive thing that came to light the, the Sunday before the trial was supposed to start on Monday, and that, that forced them to do the, the $787, it, it, it million. It, it, you make a good point. They've had to pay $787 million, and they got every shitty bit of publicity they could get with these tax. The, uh, the U.S., we don't know yet, but are you at a death by a thousand cuts theory or the Big Bang Theory? I mean, this might be a cop-out, but I'm a, I, it's, it's a, it's, you know, everything everywhere all at once, which like it was death by a thousand cuts. And then whether it was Abby Grossberg and what's in there or whether it, I, I don't, I can't guess what's in Abby Grossberg's um, 90 recordings. Let us, let none of us be in the position where all of our internal private texts and messages are, are dragged out in front of the world, for sure. That is, and this happened, remember, when we were right in the kind of early months of, 
of lockdown because it's right after the 2020 election up to, and you know, so everything people are, you know, you're not just whispering to somebody in the hallway, you're putting every single thought into an internal company message or a text message. Um, I mean, I don't, your point about Tucker, I think is interesting because I thought what you were going to say is that he went from this sort of one figure to become something kind of very different. And that's a story that a lot of people have tried to puzzle out, kind of like what hap- whatever happened to Tucker Carlson. Um, and, but but, but what you, I think what you're saying is that this is just him. This is just sort of the way that he talks. James, you said he said these things in the green room. Yeah, he did. He said some outrageous things, I'm sure. But I don't think you and Paul would have sat there if he was saying racist, vile, misogynist, hate-spewing, Putin-loving stuff. I, I think he went beyond anything he did before. He became a hater, and and that that's what made him a lot of money. Yeah, let, let, me, let me clarify. I don't, I don't, it's anything, I mean, it was about, like, management. All right, a company. It was just, it was just shit. Like you would say when, you know, like reporters oh, say about love management, management, wherever they work. You know, a bunch of yeah. assholes. <laughs> right. Okay. But 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 it, it but it was, it, but I, he actually prided himself on kind of not being a racist. All right, or at least it, 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 that's what he would say, and he. That's what he says. That's what he says. I understand. Of course, but he never said any of the things. Like okay. he was saying on Fox, but but All he right. was always Pick a up provocative on that, guy, is what I'm saying. Oh, um, yeah, he was always a provocative guy. But then something happened, and I think it was. I mean, there are so many of these stories that people say, um, and I think it happened during the Trump era. Like whatever happened to people say that about Maria Bartiromo. They say that about Tucker Carlson. They say that about Alex Berenson. I yep. don't know if you know who that is, but he came a real COVID denier and had been, you know, there are all these people who were sort of um, either in, in, in one way or another, slightly rejected by the quote unquote elite establishment for one thing or another. And then whatever happened to them, it was a, a, an aggrieved stance that just manifested into something different for each of them. But like in Tucker's case, it was, uh, at least it appeared to be like a really, I mean, while he would laugh on his show sort of maniacally, he just seemed very angry and in a way that like, he was just sort of your happy conservative friend all over DC at a certain point and that changed. So I want to make one point in terms of Al, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I, he has said misogynistic things, okay? I, that, but that can be denied. And he said, okay. But I never knew him to have any kind, that he ever hit on, I, I never knew him to be anything other than a faithful husband. I mean, I've never seen Paula complain about him inappropriate behavior. I mean, I'm sure he's he no said Bill things. He's no Bill O'Reilly or Roger Ailes. You know, they had pictures of Nancy <laughs> Right, but, but I mean, he had pictures of Nancy Pelosi in the swimming suit and Abby Gross, and he would say things that were totally inappropriate, totally the kind of stuff you you you, you should be terrible thing. But I know of no incident of him okay, actually James, why don't you, acting. Why on don't you and this. Sarah that, talk about the effect say. on the Republican Party for a while? Because Tucker Carlson was a, a he was a kingmaker, and Sarah, do you have any 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 sense of 
how Republicans are going to react to this and what difference it may or may not make? I mean, you know, this is a part of the story that we're we're trying to get at. But for people like Mitch McConnell, I mean, this is fa- fantastic. Like, there isn't somebody like Tucker Carlson who's attacking. Um, I mean, he, he when Trump, he, let me say this: that Tucker did a very good job of appearing somehow independent from Trump, while still really boosting that wing of the party with his show. And the establishment, you know, you know how much he hated um, Mitch McConnell and anybody who would adopt an actual position of trying to govern. He just wanted um, the sort of flamethrowing types that that um, had been sort of Trump acolytes. I mean, James, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it, because you have a lot more experience in politics than I do. Well, I understand. Tuck had actually been, well, he was successful. He would give a lot of corporate speeches. He was canceled at at, at CNN. He was canceled at MSNBC. He wrote a book that sold 1,100 copies. I would laugh about it. And and he became this, like, I mean, say what you want about him, but he became this overnight, I mean, sensation of life, so maybe we haven't seen before. And, And... I, 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 it's just interesting that I was with him. He got hired by Fox on the Monday before the 2016 election, and he and I were in the green room getting ready to give a speech to J.P. Morgan. But James, what effect is it going to have? Let's talk about 2023. I mean, if you're Ron DeSantis, if you're Donald Trump, if you're Kevin McCarthy. They're going to have to kiss his ass. I can already tell you. He's going to be somewhat of a hero. And who's to say the U-Lines or the Cokes or somebody doesn't pay him $15 million to go on Newsmax? And, and if he does that, if he has a non-compete clause, but, you know, once you get fired, you, you, you have to go into that. But if, if he goes to Newsmax and he rejects Fox $20 million, which he could, I could, he has plenty of money. He's got family money. He's got money saved up. And he goes on there. He's he's gonna hurt them, and people are gonna pay attention to it because he's just gonna be a, another victim that the left wing media and the Washington Post and Sarah Ellison and Al Hunt and all the whole dinner party, you know, UVA, Harvard, Yale, I don't know, Duke crowd did him in. I mean, you can uh, just see those this old shit UVA elitists. Sarah, what do you think of that? Going to Newsmax? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting is that. Um, Bill O'Reilly was going to be somebody like that. I mean, Tucker has the best shot of making that kind, making life after Fox really work for him. We've seen a lot. Of, again, we've seen like when Glenn Beck left, and this is a long time ago, but when Glenn Beck left Fox and he was sort of pushed out of Fox, everybody thought he was the face of the Republican Party. Um I mean, some there. This is if we're just playing the game now because this right now that's actual, what we do. That's yeah, what we do. We yeah. play the game. That's, the that's game what we're is, here for. The game is that Megyn Kelly and Tucker decide that they're going to go together to a place, and it could be Newsmax. Probably would have to be some. Somebody said, "What if they, uh, you know, decided to go to CNBC?" I because CNBC was talking about doing like right of conservative prime, like late night. Um, 
again, we're just playing the game. I have no idea. But if there were a way you could you could sort of play, you know, fantasy cable news anchors and decide what what group you would get together to mount some kind of challenge to Fox. Can I can I give you a tip for a story? Yes, and, and this is not this is this is not this is us gossiping publicly, but I'm seventy five percent sure I'm right on this. Okay. He has been in Austin numerous occasions studying Alex Jones's business model. Mm. I'm telling you, it, 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 I, it, and I think there's a good chance you could confirm this. Okay. Okay. All right. I, 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 I hope none of the journalists listen to this. I, as Al will tell you, I engage in gossip. I repeat things that I hear. I don't know this for a certainty, but if I were a young, aggressive journalist, I would look into this because I think there's a good, but my geological charts say there's a good chance that there's some, some oil underneath this shale rock. And then we'll have some Tupper Carlson um, supplements. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or whatever, or, or, or you know, I, I, I don't know, but I, I do believe on, 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 you know, information and belief that he has made trips to Austin to look at Alex Jones's business model. Business model. I mean, maybe yeah. a Harvard Business Review looks at yeah. studies a company. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm passing that on to you. Right, he would be a worthy successor to uh, uh, to Alex Jones. They're they're both hate mongers. Sarah, you know, poor poor old um, um, poor old Don Lemon. I mean, he just became the walk on in all this. I mean, he, he he became you know paragraph three, and then you you. You, you drop it. Uh, I don't think there's much to say about Don Lemon. Doesn't much affect CNN, does it? You know, I don't think so. The, the thing, um, the thing about the Don Lemon situation is, it's a they, CNN has been trying to make a morning show work for them for years, and they've never really been able to do it. That was. You know, even when back when Jeff Zucker came in, that was he was the wonderkind and everybody thought he was going to be able to do it. And it never got out of third place. So Chris Licht comes in and he's been at CNN now for a year. And the biggest thing they've done is reconfigure that morning show and put different people, people there. To our eyes in defense of Don Lemon. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's from East Baton Rouge Parish. Okay. He's an LSU guy. And he tells me that his mother loves me. So anybody, any any person whose mother loves me, well, he, you I know that may be a good thing. But I'll tell you, him, he was a terrible yeah. journalist on that show, and he 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 criticized Caitlin Collins. And I watched it only three or four times. She's a lot better than he was, uh, Sarah, as a journalist. And uh, so, well, the, it's true that the, that that he and the, the kind of on-air chemistry that everybody always talks about did not exist on that show. It was the opposite. And, and you know, you have Caitlin Collins, who sort of um, came up out of a conservative media into, like, mainstream media, and, and the, the two of them really did not get along. You know, I think that Don, he worked on his own, but that was a, a bad pairing. The reason I bring up Licht, it's that you put... you. When you're a TV person, and I've never been one, you have to sort of trust the people who are pulling the strings and putting you on air and who they're putting you on air with. And it just didn't, you know, from the time that he said that 
women were past their prime when they exited their 20s. It was it was just a matter of time. Who watches? Well, that's who true too. Um, Sarah, you've been a terrific guest. Let me just finally ask you: a year from now, will Fox News be as strong as ever, or will they have suffered? Um, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be fine. I answered this question in 2016 um, after Ailes was forced out. And I said that maybe their best days were behind them, which is also maybe true. Like they were having more fun back when he was around and when there wasn't quite this. I mean, they were always they were always on the out uh, outside of like the the liberal establishment, obviously, by design. And they've had scandal after scandal after scandal, but they are huge and it is very hard to get what they've got. I have one final question for, for Sarah before I let her go. But Al and I have both been fired from <laughs> CNN, so okay. It's, it's a matter of history. But I, it just strikes me, and I don't have, a, I don't have anything in the game, but I've got a lot, still got friends over there. It strikes me that right now they don't know whether a whiny bunch of scratch they watch. I mean, they're still trying to figure. Do they have? Do you have any sense that they have a strategic plan in place or anything like that? For what though? Like what? What to For do? For just the network, yeah. the direction, yeah. the kind of programming they want. I mean, I, I just don't see. I, and maybe I, I'm not an expert no. on this, but you are. But do you see any any formation of a strategic plan or identity or brand or anything? We keep hearing um, different sort of ideas, but not a lot of execution. And so what you're looking at is, I mean, certainly when Zucker was there, there was a kind of fighting spirit and they got to the point where it was a bit too much, where it was just so opposite. It was, you know, it was like the anti-Trump network and they defined themselves too much in that way. But this is just now like the People there do not, I mean, they, some people are just coming in and doing their jobs, but it does not feel like a cohesive, energized network that has got a mission that is clear to everyone who's there. No, I agree with you about that. Okay. And so I don't, I don't know what the strategy James, is. let me make oh. one final point with you, you and I talk. This goes to Fox there. Sure, go ahead. I, I teach a class at the University of Pennsylvania, and one of the assignments I gave these students this year was for two weeks they had to watch MSNBC and Fox at, in prime time and then just give me an analysis. And I guarantee you 90% of them are lefties. They don't agree with anything on Fox. And almost to a person they came back and said that, but they said Fox is much more interesting. The shows are more interesting. They move faster. It's just better. And I just think, you know, I hate them, but I think they do television better. You know, people have said to me, and I agree with this, that um, you can hate Tucker Carlson's show, hate Tucker Carlson and his message, or you can hate his message. It's not as a human, but you, or you can as a human, I guess, but people are. Um, but if you watch the way that that show is produced and, and the rhythm of it and the way that it is put together, it is creative and it really works. And in fact, it was a really well put together show. So... Maybe that's part of the reason why it was such a success, or it was just at eight o'clock on Fox News, and whoever. Yeah, there will be someone. Sarah Ellison, you have been a terrific guest. Uh, 
And we're going to we're going to keep bringing you in as this story develops. I hope we can get you back. Follow up on my little Austin tip. I will. I will. I hope no other journalists are listening to this. I don't. I'm not. You got. You got. I think you got a (laughs) sixteen-hour delay. Hey, thanks, Sarah. (laughs) All right. Thank you both so much. Take care. Hey, James, there's so much bad news this week. I'm going to turn to something I kind of like, and I love, as a matter of fact, these NBA playoffs. I think my favorite moment was when an average Memphis Grizzly player, Dylan Brooks, insulted LeBron James, calling him too old. In the next two series, LeBron proceeded to school his tormentor, leading the Lakers to a series win. You know, Mr. Brooks, be careful when you go after the king. Um, but I, I tell you something else that occurred to me, James, in watching these games, uh, which I think have been great. This is an American-dominated sport. But I have a suggestion to the NBA's Adam Silver, easily the best sports commissioner. A week before the regular season starts, next time, stage a huge charity game benefiting at-risk children around the world in Madison Square Garden, televised globally, pitting the best foreign players against the best American-born players. The foreign players' starting lineup might be Nikola Jokic, Giannis, the Greek freak, Joel Embed, Luka Donick, Shai Gilgis-Alexander, against an American team of LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler. Man, what a game that would be. And you could attract a lot of attention. And uh, you basketball fans out there, think about it. Who would you bet on? I bet on raising a lot of money if they do that. Uh, yeah, I, I do, and it'd be like, you know, by the way you, you point out, it's just America is located in the United States, well, Canada also. But the, I, I think something like 30% of NBA players were not born in the United States. I, I, I look off, I, don't hold me to the exact number, but it's, it, it's pretty substantial. And the contributions that they're making are, 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 are just staggering. And, you know, we're not even a, a, a walk in the Olympic Games anymore, right. you know? Right, right, and, no. And, and uh, you know, yeah, it's something to see. And I think there would be a, a great deal of interest in that. And the thing about basketball, you could do it on Christmas Day. I mean, it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be that in a It's not like baseball or football where you screw up, you start and pitch, you know, you know, it just takes a week to recover. I think it's a terrific idea. I really do. And I'm surprised. And, and knowing those guys... Uh, I, I, they can do things. I mean, they, you know, they, they can do things and do, do them completely. And I, I agree with you. He, he might be the best commissioner he is in sports. Oh, he is. Easily. So I had all kind of outrages. And I, I wanted to talk about this Kansas City case, which I think is so illustrative about so many things. But I, I got to tell you, if you're reading the, the new thing, on the right, and they've hired 150 lawyers. It was pretty well reported recently in the Washington Post, which sort of got my blood flowing. It had a, the NPR devoted a good bit of time on it today. It, it's it's NPR-y, but if, if you wade through it, you can find out what they're talking about. This child labor, like these companies are going into Iowa legislature, like the Senate's already passed something about putting... 13-year-olds in meatpacking plants. All right, now think about that. 
in, you work in there and the employees are not allowed a bathroom break. They have to wear diapers. And so these, these, these assholes come, they support these candidates that don't want any immigration. They support ripping the heart out of whatever social safety net we have in the country. And then they say, well, look, if you got a 13-year-old kid, we can pay him $6 an hour and, and they can clean caustic, they're cleaning caustic soda out, out, out of things. There's something called the P- Packer Sanitation Services, Inc. How, how bad a people can you be? And, and let me tell you, the Supreme Court, and you, you mark my word, they're going after the Reconstruction Amendments. You know they're going after the right to vote very successfully. That does not even exist anymore in this country, all right? They're totally ripping equal protection and due process. They're ripping the guts out of that. And I'm telling you the next thing, and do not laugh. Do not laugh. They're going after the 13th Amendment. Because what, what they want and what these companies want and what is going to be totally fine to Gorsuch, going to be totally fine to Alito, is child slave labor. They'll have a figment. So it was not slave if you're paying somebody $250 an hour or whatever they did. That that they going after the freaking Thirteenth Amendment, and and what you know, it, and what they doing is they're talking about Bud Light while they're trying to get thirteen and fourteen year olds working in freaking meat packing plants, and it's it's it, it, when you you read about it, they they've hired a hundred and fifty lobbyists. I wish somebody would write the name of every lobbyist who's making money. Trying to make the world safe for thirteen-year-olds to work Amen. in these packing plants. Name them. Name them. Name them. Put their right. what they, put their names there. All right. Who they are. Yep. Okay. I. I you in know. the law firms, and I guarantee you, a lot of these people that are lobbyists are in big-time law firms. All right. You just you mark my word. They, they are hiring, and in, in, uh, I want to come back to this, and I'll be more precise because I don't want to get, you know, Fox News here on Dominion before I start calling the names out. But I'm getting the names of the companies that are supporting this. And people need to notice child labor. And, you know, maybe it's just so affected me because I've got a, you know, January to, uh, February the third, uh, my new grandson. C- could you imagine him or, or Kai, your grandson, working in a freaking meat packing factory at thirteen or fourteen years old? And it's you know when you do that, it's somebody else's kid. It's a child. And God Almighty, this is no bottom to the rottenness and greediness of these people. We're going we're gonna to keep on this, and we're going to keep on how sad Iowa's become. My old dear friend, no. Michael, Michael Gardner, who just loves his no. home state, just dies every time we talk about it. Okay, we'll come back. Okay, now, James, for uh, our questions from our terrific listeners, I want to point out ahead of time that I know, you know, I seem like such a, just a crotchety old man on this, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to read questions if you don't tell me where you're from. Mark, you and Jake both wrote great questions, but you said, I'm not going to tell you where I'm from, so I'm not going to read your questions. I'm sorry, I'm just a crotchety old man. 
but send in, you know, tell us where you're from and we'll read them next week. We Let's start off with Red in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, right, Red. James, Red wants to know what the, the MVP of Democratic political strategist, that's you. Red, let's upgrade it. Let's talk about the goat of Democratic political strategists. Well, that's how I have to wash up Democratic strategists. I want to know what the goat thinks about the putting Social Security ad from Trump's pack on DeSantis. Uh, Biden is definitely running again, so would you like the odds better against Trump or DeSantis? Well, it, you know, I, I, I appreciate the question. The one thing I know, I don't have very much influence on the Republican side, but I do love the fact that they're going after each other on Social Security and Medicare. Because for all of my life, everybody said, well, that's demagoguery, you know, that's what Reagan said, there you go again. You know, of course, they went and they did the same thing. So I think it's encouraging that they've accepted the premise that we have said for a long time. I got to tell you, Susie Wiles, and I've said this on this show before multiple times, who was Pat Summerall's daughter. I think she's, I read a piece on the New York Times. She's 65 years old. She has enormously sharp elbows. She was the person that did a lot to make DeSantis, and Mrs. DeSantis knocked her off, and she's now at Mar-a-Lago. And DeSantis, he, he, he just got his bell rung. And he did not, he is not doing well. And she and Roger Stone, I'm sure, talk six times a day. And I don't think DeSantis said, you know, I think he's used to run against Charlie Cresto or Andrew Gillum. He's playing an entirely different game right now. I don't know. But I want the fight to continue. That's a good point. Susan Wiles, I don't, I don't know her, but she seems like I don't either. Too, too good a person to talk to Roger Stone, uh, but that's uh, not that's politics. Anyway. I think she's, I, I, my guess is that, that she's mad. With cause. Yeah, yeah, with cause. But she got knocked off and she ain't, she's not happy. Right. Yeah, I, Rebecca in Carl Gables, Florida, and Vanessa in Singapore ask a almost identical question. And they both are huge fans of the show, which we love going from Carl Gables to Singapore. Uh, she said, respect your insight and love the way delivered, but what's your take on Dianne Feinstein not yet retiring and holding back uh, Democratic uh, uh, Judiciary Committee nominations? Um, Rebecca and Vanessa, Dianne Feinstein has been a really good senator. She did some important work on, on intelligence and getting out information about those awful uh, uh, covert operations and torture. And she did a great, she's done great work on gun control. It's time to leave. She's 89. She's not up to the task. And uh, I hope she resigns tomorrow. So there's been a lot written about male senators that didn't resign. I remember in 1991, when I was doing the Wofford campaign, the most powerful person in the United States said, well, maybe Mitchell, but second was not even a senator. It was a guy named David Strauss. And he was Quentin Burdick's chief of staff, and Quentin Burdick was incapacitated, and he was the chairman of Environment and Public Works. And people have gone through all of the number of, of male senators that didn't have to resign, and there's some argument to make that there's a different standard. I think the difference here is not so much gender-related, is they have a barely a, a majority, and they can't function without her vote. But I have to tell you, there's been a lot of pushback that she's being held to a different standard and I, 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 than, than male senators who have faced 
similar dilemmas and sometimes even worse. So I, I, I just want to acknowledge that, but I, I do think the circumstances of the narrowness of the majority uh, add something to this. I, you know, I totally agree with you uh, on that. And there was Strom Thurmond, I think his name was Duke Short, who, who, who was the senator from South Carolina. And uh, poor old Strom didn't even know who he was. And, uh, you know, he, he got he was 99 when he got out. But uh, anyway, the circumstances <laughs> are Thad Cochran. I mean, yeah, Thad Cochran. The last year. I, I mean, this is, yeah, I know, but, but again, that just so you know, there is a argument to make that is somewhat persuasive that... They're holding females, and, and again, I, I, I point out that if, if there were 54 Democratic senators, it wouldn't matter. It probably wouldn't. Right, right. I agree. You know, Bob in Chincoteague, Virginia. I love Chincoteague. Oh, Go down and watch yeah, those ponies. Yeah. We used to do that with the kids. Uh, he said, James, this is to you. When you discuss no labels being evil, I want a more depth. You usually bring to a discussion. Would you go further? Is there a risk of any third party being a spoiler in the next election? We need some facts about this. I, I, I will gladly go into it deeper. First of all is the brainchild of Mark Penn, who, let me be very careful what I say, because it's accurate, he was the chief strategist for the Hillary 2008 presidential campaign. And in December of 2007, Mark Penn didn't even know that California was a winner-take-all seat. And he is, uh, he doesn't under, uh, there's, there's a lot of money to be made here. Uh, they present themselves as looking for solutions. They call themselves no label. They're trying to get on a ballot in swing states. The only possible thing that can come out of this is to reelect Donald Trump. The only possible thing. And by the way, do you know who a big donor to no labels is? Don't tell anybody. Harlan Crow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So if you think that something that Harlan Crow is donating to is in the interest of the United States and the Democratic Party, then I, 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 don't, I, I, don't have, I don't have much, we don't have much to talk about. But if, if, if you think that they're not evil, look at what we know about their donors and look at what their effect is and look at where they're trying to get on the ballot. They are a, a there is no doubt this is a right-wing front organization designed to make money for a select few people. Okay. Uh, there also was a piece somewhere a couple months ago on what a toxic work environment it is there. But uh, in any event, Greg in Atlanta, Georgia, said, while I recognize political conventions have somewhat lost their luster, any thoughts on the Dems picking Chicago over, say, Atlanta as the host? It seems like Chicago provides an easy attack to the weak on crime or big city elitist charges. You know, Greg, maybe if there's a crime wave in Chicago, bad one next summer, it'll hurt a little bit, but I doubt it. You know, the, the, the site of a convention has almost nothing to do with how a candidate does in the fall. Obama picked Charlotte in 2012. A good convention. It really was. Had a good time down there. Lost North Carolina. Uh, it was, it was uh, four years earlier. McCain picked uh, Minnesota. You know, fine convention, I guess. Sarah Palin lost it. Um, it, it just doesn't matter. The only convention, I've been covering them for over 50 years, the only convention that I think made a little bit of a difference was, was the Republicans picking Detroit in 1980 because it sent a signal that we are not the country club uh, old uh, elites that we have been depicted as the past. And I think that helped Reagan a little bit. But my view is that the site of a convention is one of the most irrelevant things for a political presidential contest, James. Uh, 
this I know, that, that you have to, in order to get these conventions, you have to raise a lot of local money, all right? They just do. And, of course, Georgia has a Republican governor, a Republican legislature. Of course, Atlanta had a Democratic mayor, so Chicago's got a new mayor. And the reason they're going there is J.B. Prisker, because J.B. Prisker told the DNC, if you come to Chicago, I can raise you $50 million. And he can, or if he, if he don't raise it, he can write the balance out of his second account. I, I, I can't understand why somebody hasn't figured that out. They would hold that convention in bumfuck Egypt if somebody said they'll cover the, the cost for it. I like so the Republicans. <laughs> okay. They, they don't care. And the, you're right, exactly right. Don't matter where you have it. Right. I, I, I tell you, I think what they should do, my idea is have it in freaking Las Vegas. Okay, so it's 115 in August. You got a gazillion hotel rooms. You can put in, you know, water misters and air conditioning and your own Pacific time and you're done it at 8.30 at night, and you, you can have fun. And, uh, you know, but, but the idea that you pick a convention, or they're, they're trying to say something political with picking Chicago and not Atlanta, it's all about the money. The money. Well, I agree. And, it doesn't make any difference. Chicago is a great convention. It's a great city it's to be in. It's uh, great. They're little, it's, it's, little. The United Center isn't the most easily uh, accessible place. Uh, actually, Atlanta is a little more accessible uh, downtown. Both yeah. have huge airports. You can get to either at, but, Atlanta you know, or Chicago. So I'm, I'm, well. There are places I wouldn't be crazy about going to, but if I'm, you know, if they can wheel me into Chicago in 2024, I'll be happy. Pam and Hiram, Maine. Hiram, Maine. I don't know. We gotta, let, me, let me hear from the Angus King people. Where is Hiram, Maine? Last week, two weeks ago, Tom Etzel says the Democrats have got to get the working class back. But Pam asked how. If they don't want to, she says if they don't want to raise the minimum wage, affordable daycare, reasonable college tuition, et cetera, I think what she means is if that doesn't do it, what will? What will bring them back? Is the problem really as simple as cultural divide and voters aligning with grievance, resentment politics? Good question. Well, let me start with a negative statement. We're not getting the working class rights back. All right, at least not is for the foreseeable future. But the difference between losing the working class, I don't know, 78 to 22, and losing 72 to 28 is all the difference in the world. We've got to understand that. There's not going to be a, a, a sweeping reversal of, of people, particularly that are, are ingrained in them and, and a lot of them are over 50. But the trick is lose by less. That's not very inspirational. It doesn't sound very war roomy. It doesn't sound very, let's go, you know, win one for the Gipper or any of the other stuff. But what you got to do, and you got to keep emphasizing this, and you got to keep working it, and you got to keep building on losing by less. And that you can do. By the way, one thing about Maine. Do you know that Maine has the highest percent of rural population than any state in America. And so keep that in mind. And, you know, Maine can be instructive. And, you know, Democrats basically win a lot of elections. They do. Maine. I do. I think Maine, too, is one right. of the three or four most rural 
districts in in the in the country. Right, and I think a guy Golden, who's a interesting guy. Yeah. He's a little bit different, a little bit out there, but he's an interesting guy. He's a, he's a good politician, able to survive. Hopefully, we have. Uh, Governor Shapiro on next week. I, I feel pretty confident we're going to have him on pretty soon. And he did he did much better than you would expect in these rural areas in Pennsylvania. By and doing exactly what you just that. said. Not that so right. much you lose want, he cut the margin, and that made a huge he difference. He cut the margin. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, he didn't, lose, he didn't win Blair County, but he lost by Right. Uh, the next is from Paul in Austin, Texas. That is not Begala, I'm sure. And this is Paul asked about book banning. It says, why not get Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and agnostics to be, quote, uncomfortable, end quote, with books that suggest Christianity is the only path? Or African Americans are uncomfortable with uncritical presentations of slavery? Or Jews are uncomfortable with stereotype betrayals of bankers or media owners? Paul, uh, you're engaging in um, satire here, or, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it shows how ridiculous book banning is. The idea that you can't can't have students read a book that someone's going to feel uncomfortable with. I want to feel uncomfortable about some things. Uh, you know, am I not supposed, you know, to read about uh, about slavery? Am I not supposed? I think the founding fathers were great geniuses, but they made a couple huge mistakes. One on race and the other on Native Americans. That's just a fact. So, you know, their batting average was, I don't know, 80-20. That's pretty good. If, if I think about one of my favorite scenes in a movie, and I think that if we should actually think about doing a 30-second clip in Field of Dreams, where they had the book banners at the meeting and Amy Mattings was actually called that woman a Nazi cow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was, you know, you should, and I'm going to, I'm going to look at it tonight, but, but I, I, I think it's illustrative. I, I think that slavery and the Holocaust are something to feel uncomfortable about. I, when they say, if you teach us, you're going to make kids uncomfortable. Well, it's kind of something to be uncomfortable about. I, a little bit of a, Defended the founding fathers a little bit because there's a, 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 a pretty significant school of academic thought that said that they slavery is not enshrined in the Constitution. That the founders, of course, they couldn't do anything about it at the time, but they they, they left a, a, a trap door open. Uh, that's the theory of Sean Wilentz, and I, I don't argue with Sean. There are a lot of people that, that disagree with him. He's he's totally intellectually. I love Sean Wilentz, but three fifths of a vote. You know, any, well, you know, it was Madison. They, they couldn't pay, either that or you don't have a constitution. No, no, I look, James. I know, I know, I know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, right, I'm not, I'm, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying that there is historical evidence that they knew this was going to bite us on the ass. Right. Uh, okay, that, that's all I'm suggesting. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I, as I say, I think they were great. I mean, God, what a, an incredible collection of. Of talent, uh, but they weren't perfect, and I think you ought to read about no, the no, imperfections no, well, too. Of course, you should. And, no, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 let me give you another example. I think FDR was one of our two or three greatest presidents. I revere FDR. One of my, if someone said if you could cover someone that you never covered, it would probably be Roosevelt. But what we we did not do as much as we could have done in the late '30s and early '40s about what was happening to Jews in Europe. That's just a simple reality. Sure, and, and I, I think, and I think that, people ought to read about that. That doesn't mean well, FDR. Should and they should read that we exempted uh, agricultural workers from Social Security, which code for black. Exactly. Okay, right. we we can read uh, the stuff 
that some of the things that, that Lincoln had to do. All right, the part, you can do anything you want. You right. know, Roosevelt passed the Social Security exempts agriculture workers. You know, I, I, I mean, you, you, you're right. We need to know about this. We should not hide right. it. Right, right. And that's the point. History also, a lot of the people on the left don't want history to have any context. All right, and the the, the historical book that I recommend, boy, it, it, it is the Adam Hochschild book, Bury the Chains, in his new book, American Midnight. If, if you think the shit today is bad, or even to the extent maybe the shit, you know, before the America of 1918, oh my God, you know, it, it really brings that to bear, and it it, it it's worth. It's, it's, you know, anything Adam does is really worth a read. And it's how they got, what public sentiment was about the slave trade and how they got about it and the role that William Wilberforce and the Quakers and people like that played in this is it, 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 quite a remarkable story. And we need to learn that too. Our final question is from things. Seth in Muncie, Indiana. And I can set the table on this. Seth's question is, we have an amazing candidate uh, in Muncie named Jeff Robinson who really has what it takes to win a competitive race. But the biggest problem is that we have the perception of the local Democratic Party after recent uh, uh, scandals. So I looked this up. Uh, Jeff Robinson is a Democrat running for mayor uh, of Muncie. They did have a Democratic mayor prior to the current mayor who is a Republican, and that Democratic mayor was indicted and I guess sent away for a year for, uh, you know, taking, uh, taking illegal, taking illicit money of some sort. I don't want to go into details because I don't know him. So I think Seth's question is, okay, Jeff Robinson's a good guy, uh, and the Democrats have been hit with this previous guy who left office four years ago. So how do you handle it? Uh, our odds are good if we can figure out a way to, I guess, both message and raise money for this campaign. Yeah, I, I was. I spoke to the Indiana Democrats uh, this past summer, and I, the, the party chair seems to me to be quite able guy. And there's some, some some able people, and we're not very don't do very well electorally in Indiana. But there, there's some able people there, and I, I I don't know enough of the facts to to do this, but I I, I think they're trying to build a state party, and they're pretty aggressive. And I, I would, you know, I would consider bringing them in, and. You know, they're going to blame the Democrat and Muncie for, for something that happened. Well, Trump's going to be indicted for, I don't know, God knows how many different things. Our over so and under he, is two and a half. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I'm not familiar with it. And you just said the mayor's race, which tricked me into reminding the race for the mayor of Jacksonville is May the 16th. Jacksonville is by far the largest city in Florida. It, it's, it's kind of a Duval County. It's a kind of weird system of government there, but I think the, the, the city limits of Jacksonville are, are I can't think of the word, but the same is, the, is Duval County. And it's the Sanders home county, and if, if, it's kind of a swing county in Florida, and the Democrats have been consistently overperforming, not just in Wisconsin, but in places like Virginia and other places around the country. And I think that this is going to be a little bit of a tell. I think this is a, 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 it's not the equivalent of the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, but I, it's one we should pay attention to. Uh, my friend Nikki Freed is the chairman of the Florida party. They're trying different things. 
I, you know, the black vote is a big freaking problem. I, my idea is to bring the Tennessee two in, which maybe can help, but we'll see if that happens and we'll see what happens. But, uh, but good luck to y'all in Muncie. And uh, we've, we've had very little, by the way, we've had very few Democratic mayors in, in recent history in Jacksonville. And we could change that around. It's a city that's three times as big as Miami. Okay. Tampa. All right, Seth, we'll keep our eye, too, on Jeff Robinson in Muncie, Indiana. Keep those questions coming in, and I'm going to make a plea to Mark and Jake. Tell us where you're from, and we'll get to them next week. Thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and Z-Biotics, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them, because when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. Now, to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.